0: Welcome to Global Minnesota Podcast, connecting, informing, and engaging Minnesotans with the world and exploring important international issues. For a complete list of programs and to join us, visit GlobalMinnesota.org.
1: For the day, welcome again. And for those of you who are just joining us, my name is Mark Ritchie. I have the honor of serving as President of Global Minnesota and your host today. Global Minnesota is able to bring this to everyone on the world for free because we have great support. Our program partners, uh, um, um, the World Affairs Council, the partners, the World Food Program, USA office, but also corporate sponsors and people who were generous enough to support today's experience directly, McKnight Foundation, Regenerative Agriculture Foundation. Blue Cross Blue Shield, Greater MSP, King Solution, and Hormel. At the end of today, there will be social hours, opportunities to hear about some very interesting subjects and topics, chat more informally with people. They're going to happen right after we close the official program. There'll be a little bit of time. There's a whole list of them on the Global Minnesota website under the world food day agenda at the very end check it out it's going to be a chance to hear about a lot of amazing things that are happening and to really connect with the people who are making those things come alive for us today here on world food day this next session is about people on the front line who are taking seriously the connections between the campaign to try to reach that goal of zero hunger by 2030 and the other sustainable development goals that have to be folded together. We've heard this all day long, how things need to be put together. Education, equity, health, all of these things fit together in one package. Alexandra Spieldock, who's the executive director and president of Bounty Field, is one of the key leaders on the planet who thinks about the integration of the sustainable development goals into the broader global context. And I'm so thrilled and honored that she agreed to moderate this panel today to tell us about Bountiful and that work. And I know that's one of the social hours. Um, and then to bring into this conversation the idea, the larger picture of how the sustainable development goals that we all are working for move us towards zero hunger together. Thank you very much, Alexandra. I turn the microphone over to you.
2: Thank you so much, uh, Mark. Um, thank you to Global Minnesota. And I'm so honored to participate in this day and had the honor to listen to all of the different presentations since this morning, and, uh, and also to just moderate this distinguished panel this afternoon um, and this important topic. Um, as Mark mentioned, I'm CEO of Bounty Field International which is a global nonprofit that's based in Minneapolis with programs in sub-Saharan Africa. And we are focused on ways to help small farmers and rural communities save, preserve, and sell more food, focusing on staple crops that have tended to be forgotten but are highly nutritious, grow in climate-challenged regions, and are also part of local diets and uh, rural livelihoods. These crops include grains like millet and sorghum and legumes, and they're quite difficult to process. And throughout Sub-Saharan Africa, they are being processed manually in most cases, and they're being done manually by women in most cases. So we look at that intersection of technology and sustainable development goals, the importance of multi-sectoral approaches and partnerships in the rural sector and we're proud to do this. We came, we come out of General Mills and we were founded by a food technologist who saw how practical solutions and leadership can play a huge role in decreasing food loss and improving food quality and availability of food, of quality food, as well as thinking about things like inclusive growth and and opportunity uh, where it's lacking. So, Without further ado, as Mark mentioned, this panel is about uh, hearing from the front lines and its SDGs and food security. So hearing from the front lines, what does that mean? It's the opportunity for us to learn about the SDGs, how they are being um, developed as a framework for work and also contributing to program implementation throughout the world. And I love this panel because of the distinguished leaders that we have, but also because we get the honor of hearing from them from their regional experience. And um, I've asked each of these speakers to talk about STGs more broadly, how it came to be in their own context. And then also to, again, speak to their experience with some stories along the way. Uh, We'll have a question and answer session at the end. And I'm gonna start with uh, David Miller. David Miller is a principal community relations consultant who is working with Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Minnesota. And they are uh, specifically developing a whole framework around sustainable development goals that they can then implement across their programs across the state. And what's so exciting about this is that it's a model that um, we're seeing being spearheaded from Minnesota but also with great potential um, nationally and perhaps for other contexts. So uh, without further ado, I'll hand over the microphone, so to speak, to David.
3: Thank you, Alexandra, and good afternoon, everyone. Happy World Food Day. My name is David Miller with Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Minnesota. And I'm honored to be here today to speak about food security and the sustainable development goals. As we've learned, food insecurity is an issue that impacts more than a quarter of people around the world. The number is closer to half in low-income countries. Here in Minnesota, considered a high-income state and a high-income country, even we have about one in 10 Minnesotans that struggle with food security. The ripple effect of food insecurity reaches all aspects of our lives, including our health. The intersection between good health and well-being and food security is well documented in research. Those that are food insecure need to make difficult economic decisions daily, choosing between food and other necessities. Families struggling with food insecurity have higher rates of health disparities like obesity and mental health and well-being. To ensure healthy people and communities, Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Minnesota believes equity and food security are critical elements of our mission to inspire change, transform care, and improve health. The best care is preventative care. That is why we are focused on upstream health factors like food security. Next slide, please. About a year ago, Blue Cross started to map our work to the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. We are exploring a long term plan of making the SDGs a framework that we can measure success, especially in the areas of good health and well being for all, zero hunger, and climate action. Our corporate social responsibility strategy, which we call social impact, has clear connections to SDGs. We have focus areas, including community, healthcare, and environment, that we view through the lenses of the social determinants of health and racial and health equity to guide our social impact. Similarly, most healthcare organizations who are mission-based, like Blue Cross, are well-positioned to positively influence good health and zero hunger. At Blue Cross, there are specific ways that we are approaching good health and zero hunger, including employee engagement, corporate giving, and community programs. Next slide, please. Two examples of employee engagement include volunteerism and giving. Our employees receive 20 hours of volunteer paid time off each year to use in service to their favorite causes and charities. This year, due to COVID-19 pandemic, racial justice movement, and economic crisis, our company has increased available VPTO to 40 hours. Last year, more than 17,000 hours of volunteer service were provided to the community. Many of those hours were given to charities that support food security. We host two employee giving programs during the year. The first in March is Minnesota Food Share, a statewide food drive. The second in September is our community giving campaign. We had record breaking giving from our employees in both campaigns this year. Along with a Blue Cross Cross and Blue Shield of Minnesota Foundation match, we raised nearly $1.5 million for more than 600 charities, many focused on food security. In fact, this year, to encourage giving to food security and racial and health equity organizations, the match dollars were increased for seven nonprofits. Next slide, please. Two examples of corporate giving include grants and sponsorships. Blue Cross provides more than $15 million in grants and sponsorships each year, most notably for food security. The Blue Cross Foundation announced earlier this year a $750,000 commitment to Second Harvest Heartland, a Minnesota food bank. The foundation also is contributing $1.1 million to support communities during the COVID-19 pandemic, specifically communities of color and indigenous communities, people with disabilities, immigrants, refugees, domestic abuse victims and survivors, and the LGBTQ community. Next slide, please. Two examples of community programs include the Community Giving Gardens and the Food is Medicine program. Blue Cross invests in healthy communities through our community giving gardens to address systemic societal, racial, and health equity issues of food insecurity and accessibility of nutritious food. The Giving Garden program is centered on environmental stewardship, building community resilience, and encouraging volunteerism. Most importantly, it provides fresh produce to families in need through nonprofit partners. Our Food is Medicine program, meal delivery service provides tailored fresh foods for seniors on Medicaid and medical assistance with chronic conditions such as diabetes and heart disease, or who might be recovering at home from a hospital stay. This program is all about the interplay between nutrition, quality of life and maintaining health for our seniors. Finally, research shows that our health choices and physical environment are connected. The air we breathe, the water we drink and the land we farm is uh, clean when it's clean and sustainable, it benefits the planet, our food supply and the health of our community. I am pleased to announce that last year, Blue Cross committed to reducing scope one and scope two carbon emissions by 25% by 2025. And in 2019, we had already reduced our carbon footprint by 15%. I have been fortunate enough to witness firsthand the power that healthcare organizations can have on food security. Prior to my current position at Blue Cross, I worked at a basic needs nonprofit, which provided families with food, housing, and economic assistance. It was because of organizations like Blue Cross that our community-based nonprofit could serve the more than 500 families that needed help each month. Blue Cross sent volunteers to pass out food to families in need and provided funding to purchase food when donations were low and to keep the doors open and the lights on. I am happy to share with you today that healthcare organiza- organizations like Blue Cross do have a role to play in impacting good health and zero hunger for all. Thank you. Thank you, Alexandra.
2: Thank you so much, David, um, for for sharing um, the leadership that's coming out of Blue Cross and Blue Shield. And I had lots of questions that were coming up as you were talking. I'm sure we'll have a chance to get into that in in just a few uh, minutes. Uh, But I'd like to go ahead and introduce our second panelist. Uh, Our second panelist is Victor Suarez. Victor is the Deputy Secretary of Agriculture uh, within the Mexican Secretariat of Agriculture and Rural Development. He is a longtime activist and friend to many in the Minnesota community He is the executive director and founder of the National Association of Rural Commercialization Enterprises, ANEC, in Mexico. Since 1995, and really since the NAFTA era, he has promoted a strategy across the country to develop agricultural markets with small and medium-sized producers of grains with more than 50,000 members. He launched an activist campaign, Sin Maíz No Hay País. Without corn, there's no peace. And he's also served in the Mexican House of Representatives uh, for the uh, Party for the Democratic Revolution. So experience in the private sector as a producer, um, experience with the government, and he has experience in Minnesota as well, Um, and globally uh, in terms of all the different forums and panels that he's been invited to speak at. And we're so honored to
0: have you here today. Thank you, Victor. Thank you, you, Alexandra. Good afternoon. I'm very grateful for the opportunity to participate in this forum that commemorates a World Food Day. Thank you to Mark Ritchie, Alexandra Spildoch, Carolina Gustafsson, and everyone in global Minnesota who makes this important event possible. I'm very happy to be here with a very old and close friends of uh, Minnesota. Especially, my very old and close friends of uh, Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policies. Especially, I'm very happy to be with Mark Ritchie, who is, in in different sense, a master. Of our struggles, a uh, struggle in Mexico in order to achieve uh, food uh, security and food sovereignty. The current government of Mexico, in force since December 2018, has clear transformation goals in all areas of public life and rural and food policies are not exception. In, re- in recent deca- decades, we have experienced an inertial situation in the countryside of programs and subsidies without social sense that were concentrated in the larger scale producers. Small and medium scale farmers were bypassed, bypassed this the pie contribution, contributing more than 15, 50% of the country's food production. Likewise, in those past decades, indiscriminate access was given to ultra processed foods with excess calorie, calories, sugars, fats, and sodium, which quickly gained space to traditional Mexican foods proven, healthy, and nutritious. All these depend on the historical, social, economic, regional, and urban rural inequality of Mexico and caused greater poverty and rural migration. Small scale farming was discouraged and local markets and consumer sense of gastronomic taste were distorted. The transformation that we are initiating in this government is long-term. It consists of a new fair, healthy, sustainable, and competitive agri-food and nutritional system. The new agricultural policy has two priority objectives, food self-sufficiency and the rescue of the countryside Established in the National Development, Development Plan uh, 290, uh, 292, 94. Today, the government has reoriented publicer, public resources for agriculture in favor of small and medium producers, mostly pre- present in the South and Southeast region. And they are exercises exercise through priority programs such as. Production for well-being that manages the undersecretary of food and competitiveness under my, char- my charge. Production for well-being consists of delivery of direct support per hectare to two million point one thousand producers of corn, beans, wheat, rice, other grains, coffee, and sugar cane. This resource. Resources serve for producers to invest in their work in the field, and today they are uh, invaluable as they cushion the health and economic crisis co- caused by the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. But production for well-being also has two strategies: one for technical support, and the other one for promoting access to formal financing. Here, I I focus on the technical support strategy because with with it, we seek a transition to sustainable agricultural system and agroecology. We have uh, 600 uh, agroecological technicians who work side by side with producers from 23 regions, mainly indigenous with high and very high levels of marginalization and situation of viol- violence. The technicians train producers in the preparation and use of bio inputs, such as compost, worm, ditching, and preparation with microorganisms. We note that this technical support is welcomed by the producers. There are several research, modern scientific scientific knowledge is shared with that of producers, which they have inherited from several generations and which implies a deep respect for soil and water resources. The transitions, the transition to sustainable practices has in practice beneficial results in every way. We have confirmed this in our strategy. Producers use biological resources that they have in their own locality as inputs and gradually reduce the use of of agrochemicals. This allows them to lower cost and dependence on foreign inputs. The soil resource of the producers is regenerated as the they stop using agro ag- agrochemicals, they stop pollution, the water bodies and their yields and harvest, and harvest rice. An additional stimulus, and perhaps the most important, is that producers, and particularly women, value that their crops are healthy, that they, they can consume with them with confidence. They are crops without agrochemical content. All these, of course, contribute of food future, future security of peasant families, communities, and the country. This year, in Mexico, we are for forecasting a production increase of 8% comp- compared to 290 in the main four grains, corn, beans, white, wheat, and rice, which will add 34 million tons of which to 9 will, million will be corn. The increase is based on good weather conditions. We have excellent excellent rains, but it also, of course, explain it in, in the support of the government's pri- priority programs, including production for well-being, the other pri- priority programs for the year Field are sowing live, guarantee prices, basic basket, and fertilizers. The construction of a new agri-food and nutritional system is a, a strategy of the government as whole. It transversally involves several secretariats or minister ministries, such as the environment, health, economy, education, and welfare, among others. As well as civil society organizations such as the Alliance for Health and the Power of the Consumer, and international institutions such as the FAO, UNICEF, and the Pan American Health Organization, all are integrated into a group called the Interinstitutional Group for Health, Food, Environmental Environment and competitive, competitiveness, Hisama group. This group has born in his first fruits with the frontal labeling of process, uh, processed foods. This is several stamps that by obligation as of, as of October, most carry foods high in, calorie, in calories, saturated fat, fat, sodium, and sugar. They they are also warning stamps for foods that should be not consumed by children due to their caffeine contents and sweeteners. Hisama group also works to phase out highly hazardous agrochemicals such as glyphosate. This has led to a controversy an attack on President Andrés Manuel López Obrador, but, but the decision has been made. We want to protect the protect the population. We want to take care of their health and the gober- government will not give in to pressure. Glyphosate must be discontinuated, discontinuated within four years. So this COP coupled with social legal process that have have so far managed to stop the planting of transgenic corn show us that the government of Mexico is committed to the production of the field with the production of food with the with the perspective of more and better more production but healthy and sustainable and policies that pay to bring healthy food to the population free of toxins. Thanks so much, everyone. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you so much, Victor. And um, I'm excited to hear about all of the initiatives that are underway in Mexico and the comprehensive approach that's being taken by the government Uh, You've raised a lot of different issues, and perhaps we can get to, again, some of those during the the question and answer section. Um, Next, we're going to hear from Atul Tandon, who is the CEO of Opportunity International. He is bringing 35 years of experience and leadership across a range of organizations, from nonprofit to the profit sector. ranging from World Vision, United Ways, um, Global Network, as well as Citibank in India, experience with finance and credit, et cetera, et cetera. And now is uh, talking to us from Seattle, Washington, uh, to tell us a bit more about how Opportunity International, uh, which is a highly respected global nonprofit with programs around the world, is addressing uh, the SDG framework and understands that and how that's playing out in, in, in its programs uh, more specifically. So without further ado, I welcome you Atul and thank you so much.
4: Thank you so much, Alexandra. Thank you so much for having me and of course uh, to our friends uh, at Global Minnesota. Uh, thank you to Mark Ritchie and to the team, uh, one for organizing this day, You know, for caring. For uh, the world's poor, the hungry around the world, and, and putting them on the map, uh, and, and you know, I have to say the outstanding collection uh, of speakers and luminaries you've had, and uh, and now you're stuck with me. So, it's, it's, uh, but it really has been. I you know the morning session with uh, Governor Beasley, uh, which you got off to such a great start. I mean, what, what uh, just an inspirational person uh, listening uh, to Professor Sachs in the afternoon. Uh, very inspiring, very informative. And I want to talk about that. Uh, You know, it's uh, uh, Opportunity International, the nonprofit I I, uh, lead today, and I really am humbled to lead today, very involved for 50 years in addressing at the very root cause, both the issues that are intertwined here, one, uh, SDG number one and SDG number two, poverty and hunger, that they go hand in hand. And, you know, as uh, Governor Beasley pointed out, you know, what is not said that both poverty and hunger lead to conflict, right? There's a direct relationship there. So reducing hunger and poverty to reduce conflict or other way around as well. But that's what we have done for 50 years is to give uh, uh, families, uh, specifically at the very bottom of the pyramid, uh, the means that they need, the resources, financial resources, training and support to build sustainable livelihoods. Because uh, you know if you think about hunger, well, how do you solve it on an on a sustainable basis you 've got to make sure that the people at the bottom of the pyramid have the economic capacity to purchase the food that they want that they have the technical skills that they need and the support that they need to grow the food that they want and then to be able to consume it and to sell it, which is what we do and uh, the context we find ourselves in Alexandra today, which uh, I think has been so well uh, communicated today, is on the one hand, all of us uh, you know, together uh, have made progress over, I would say the last 30 years in beating back both hunger and poverty. Right? If you start off just in 1990, about uh, somewhere between about two point, over two billion people, 37 percent of the world's population, going to bed hungry every day. Right. Almost forty percent you could say in my home country of India, where I grew up the, when I was born uh, in the late '50s, early '60s, over eighty percent, eight zero percent of the of, of the population going to bed hungry every day. Those numbers had come down by the end of last year to about seven hundred million people, right? so we released about one point three billion people from that hardship the Impact of the pandemic in just one year, or not even that, in the seven months, and it's not over yet, we are now projecting somewhere between 100 to 130 million more people who are now in extreme poverty and are not able to purchase food. Of them, close to about a third of them, 250 million might be at the risk of starvation. So we pay, face uh, a extraordinary humanitarian crisis, which comes though at the with three decades of progress behind us. So when I put those two things around and I wanna talk about what we do as an organization is we know how to solve this problem. We have beaten this back before both hunger and poverty and we will again. And when you talk about how we will again is is where I wanna go is today, you know, survive today and thrive tomorrow. That's the theme of our organization's mandate, I believe as, as we look at our work. What are we doing to help these families survive today? Well. We have about 17 million clients and spread across about 28 countries. Uh, we, we work through a network of local partnerships, uh, you know, uh, about 75 of them, uh, and uh, financial institutions, banks, uh, other intermediaries. Uh, in fact, many of the corporations in, in your own, own home city are our partners, uh, Cargill being one of them, and I could go down that list have been for many years. The, so what we are doing there with these families is, is in effect, Uh, a a three-part plan. One, we want to make sure that you preserve your cash that you have, right? And make sure it's kept safe and you have access to it. Uh, So we have expanded access, electronic access to the small deposits, $32 of average savings that a family has in these communities kept in in one of our banks so they can access it electronically. Two is let's make sure that you're not having to pay off loans and so on. Seven million clients across the entire network loan moratorium. Uh, when you have capacity to pay, when your small businesses start up again, you can earn your daily wages, you know, you can pay us back, start paying us back at that time. Thirdly, that let's make sure where you at risk of starvation, we actually get you connected either with people like WFT or our own selves. You know, we, we are providing both uh, food services, but as well in some cases, few cases, but in all cases, protective equipment and so on. So that's, as you look at today, that's the survival today, you know, I'm reminded, uh, uh, Alexandra, uh, our uh, uh, staff in, uh, uh, of all places, Cartagena in, in, in Colombia, not too far from here, right? Uh, uh, we were serving, we have a project in, in, in Islam outside Cartagena, uh, and the roads are closed. Uh, you know, there are curfews. We are allowed because we are a humanitarian organization. The people were starving, no food inside, right? There was a sudden curfew imposed. And uh, so our staff had no other means except to actually withdraw money from their bank accounts, go to the local market, which was open, purchase the food and then caravan into that slum. So if you think about you know, what, what drives uh, the, the, uh, the dedicated staff, we have in many of the organizations here, I, I'm just so frankly humbled to hear those kind of stories of what actually happened. So we've stepped in in those situations. Thrive Tomorrow though, you, know, you have to make sure that we solve this problem on a sustainable basis, right? What do you do there? I'll tell you the story of a, of a woman farmer I met in, 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 in Uganda last year. Uh, you know, I was visiting our projects there, Millie. She's a widow. Uh, the husband left her when, when he passed away, uh, a five-acre coffee farm, 12 children to feed. And you know, she was at that time uh, a, 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 a young mom. And she took this on herself. So she, uh, you know, she has been. Uh, how do you feed 12 children? How do you grow enough coffee? How do you sell it? Uh, and she was uh, chatting with me, and she'd been at it for a, a little while. She got connected with the opportunity. Uh, we showed her things to do: improve planting techniques, right? Improve soil. Uh, improve her irrigation. We connected her to a local co-op so she could get her the right price for her product, and then, uh, you know, to a local marketplace uh, processor. Her complaint to me was she said, you know, we have started earning so much money. My kids have now gone to school. My son is a doctor. He refuses to come back uh, and help me. Now you've got to find him a job here. So when are you going to come back and create a health clinic so my son can come work, work next to me? So I said, you know, Millie, you have the world's greatest problem and I'm just so excited I'm here. And my prayer would be that we could together, uh, Alexandra, here." Millie's story repeated a million times. And I think to me, I'll close with that is, is that we have the means today, between the technology, between the resources, between the networks, uh, the solutions that we have, right? Resources, training, and support to help people survive today and thrive tomorrow. The question is, are will to do it? So thank you.
2: Thank you so much, Atul. And thank you to the other panelists. Um, I love the stories and flavor coming from Uganda and Cartagena and, um, and Mexico, um, really rich. And of course, we, we need more time to, to, to talk more about these things. You know, throughout the day, we have primarily focused on uh, sustainable development goals, one and two, you know, to, end, um, to get to zero hunger and to end poverty. Those of you who know me um, in the audience will know that I won't miss the opportunity to talk about the disproportional impacts of uh, global hunger and poverty on um, certain groups, and in particular on women and on children and on the elderly. And and I really would like to spend a minute with the panelists to call out Sustainable Development Goal on Gender Equality, number five, as well as um, SDG 10, Reduced Inequalities, because, you know, I think we can't really talk about the work that we're doing without also talking about everybody receiving um, an opportunity and about the justice component of our work. I mean, we can't allow for the kinds of uh, barriers that we've seen in the inequalities to to stay the way they've been. And so if we're serious about the SDG framework in the work that we're doing, what are some solutions that you have started to develop to make sure that um, this piece of the SDG agenda is not forgotten? And Atul, I will start with you.
4: Thank you so much, Alexandra. And I, you're right there is is that, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it frankly is, it's been repeated many times, but it's a, tru- a truism as well, is if you, if you can, uh, you know, equip a mom, uh, you equip a family and then a village, right? And uh, our solution has been recognizing that uh, uh, in the field, practically speaking, day to day, you have uh, women who, who are, uh, uh, globally earning less than they should for the jobs that they do similar jobs that they do to there's a real gender disparity there in income levels there's a gender disparity in, in opportunity levels what they can whether it comes to education or uh, you know access to resources so we have had a a, a two part uh, response to that uh, at opportunity one we really focus on 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 the the women in the family Uh, that they have the means to set up small businesses and run them. So approximately 90% of our clients are women across the world. Uh, And and we can go back and demonstrate and show you. So example from Mozambique is, uh, you know, after about a year and a half in our program, uh, I believe it was close to 97% of the women uh, farmers in that program specifically came back and said, you know, not only has our uh, uh, incomes increased, but our standing in our family and our community has increased we are more respected today, our voice is heard. And that's what we want to see. I would also talk about specifically about the girl child and you spoke about education. Uh, You know, children as a whole, uh, we all believe that they come first. It's one of the hard things to accept and observe in life is that's not the case everywhere. Uh, And uh, even today with COVID-19, you know, at the peak about a billion children were out of school, uh, Alexandra under that number, 300 million children of those were receiving daily uh, meals at their schools. Many of them, we, we, we are amongst the largest financiers of affordable schools in the world. Uh, you know, we, we had, I think last year, close to 4,000 of them, principally Africa and Asia. Uh, and uh, you can see visibly the difference between a child who's receiving a meal at the school and who's not. So I think that's where uh, our our hearts and our minds are drawn to is, okay, how do we sustainably now in the response, one, focus and prioritize on women, two, frankly, even more urgently, let's make sure that those schools open so that the kids can both get an education and are, are able to receive the meals and do that safely. Right. So it's it's one of those situations where you've got to take uh, both governments as well as communities have to take some some good decisions about both those safety on the one hand. But, you know, feeding the kids and and getting them educated on the other hand.
2: Thank you, Victor, I'm going to ask this of you as well. Um, And in particular, you mentioned in your speech. You talked about obesity and processed foods. You talked about a new emphasis with the Mexican government on um, more traditional foods. And I'd like to hear from you, if you're comfortable, talk a few words about how you see that impacting families, women and children and the role they play as uh, keepers of traditional knowledge and indigenous knowledge um, within uh, food systems within Mexico, and how the government is helping to facilitate that.
0: Yeah, I, I, as, as you know, uh, uh, Mexico culture cultures, ancient cultures, um, were uh, created uh, mice and uh, um, a different food plants and, in, and they developed an uh, agricultural system named Milpa. Milpa is a system who combine different uh, food plants as corn, beans, and different uh, six and eight different plants in, in one uh, hectare. Uh, they uh, Milpa system provide uh, multiple different uh, uh, food for the uh, peace and family. And right now we try to protect and to improve these uh, traditional systems uh, versus the uh, ultra processed uh, food uh, system that have created in Mexico um, an uh, epidemic of uh, obesity and, uh, obesity and the malnutrition conditions. We uh, support this uh, traditional system when, with uh, uh, technical assistance, uh, scientific uh, links with the traditional knowledge in order to maintain and improve these uh, conditions. We try to to rescue a different foods, um, ancient food, like camaranto, like chia, and and a a different, a very lot different kind of food plants who represent a very healthy diet for the people. That's, uh, and right now we try to Establish a labeling, labeling for ultra-processed foods and beverage with a, a, a very high sugar addition in order to, to inform the, the, the consumers who, which, which kind of food they are trying to buy and to consume.
2: Thank you so much. I I think um, I've received a couple answers to my questions, so let me move to another SDG, and that's the one around partnerships. And I um, would like to hear from David a bit about how how Blue Cross Blue Shield is partnering with other actors to uh, promote its SDG agenda and its work within the Minnesota community and how you see that as a model for whether it could be expanded nationally or for other uh, health care providers, for example, to address food insecurity.
3: Thank you, Alexandra. And uh, yes, uh, we are, as, as an organization, uh, we continue to focus on uh, sustaining this uh, momentum in our program by strengthening our partnerships uh, with our communities and the global community. Um, I believe that we can make a global impact and it's only possible uh, you know, as a statewide organization uh, when we can create the internal structures uh, that allow for uh, strategic partnerships and uh, uh, a culture of systemic change. Um, yeah, I would uh, answer your question also by saying that uh, Blue Cross is a company that uh, truly walks the walk. Um, we, as I mentioned, we're a mission-based uh, healthcare company. Um, And uh, we take uh, our partnerships uh, seriously. We take our role in the community uh, as uh, not only a provider of health insurance, but also um, uh, an organization that has uh, the means to uh, help impact uh, um, uh, food security and and the other SDGs. Um, And it's something that we're we're constantly working towards uh, specifically, our partnerships, uh, uh, we have many uh, within the nonprofit uh, sector. Um, we, as I, as I mentioned, we have uh, organizations that uh, we volunteer with uh, that we give to uh, in terms of our uh, foundation dollars, in terms of uh, our corporate giving, in terms of uh, our employee giving programs, um, and uh, with food security becoming a uh, uh, at the center of attention, uh, especially during uh, the COVID crisis and uh, the racial equity movement. Uh, Right now, um, this is something that is easy for us to to pivot to, uh, given our uh, uh, expansive network of uh, nonprofit partners. Um, And as I mentioned, uh, we can uh, elevate uh, certain partnerships uh, that we believe uh, can make a a direct impact uh, in our community. Uh, through different means. Um, uh, as, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we have seven featured nonprofits that were focused specifically on our food security uh, efforts uh, through our uh, giving campaigns. Um, and the work continues. So um, uh, we look forward to continuing to uh, integrate and align our framework uh, within the UN SDGs. Uh, and it's uh, important to be guided by this North Star that Uh, that is recognized by the global community uh, because our local actions uh, can align and also uh, create a ripple effect uh, with our global vision. Thank you.
2: Okay, I think I probably have time for one more question and answer round. Um, I wanna pick up the um, couple things, but this group talked a little bit before this uh, panel discussion about how our work is often being uh, done in in a siloed way. It's one of the challenges if you're either you're a water expert or you're a food expert over here, or you're an agricultural expert over here and and all these things or health for that matter are interconnected. And so it's so important that we're thinking um, in this, in this way. I mean, have you seen this kind of silo in your work? And have you made efforts, um, you know, within your company or organization to to address this? And Atul, I'm gonna I'm gonna come back around to you, but I'm gonna layer it with one more question to you because I I want you to speak a little bit as well about how you've brought in alternative financing, and you've also thought about some of the important work that needs to be done also around. Um, Comprehensive thinking about investment strategies that help us to break out of those silos. So, thank you.
4: Thank you for that, Alexandra. So, I'll, I'll you know just a couple of brief comments. But before I, I forget anything else, I have to mention your previous question on uh, in a women's empowerment. Uh, the Global Minnesota Chair, Muffy McMillan. Uh, uh, who is as well serves on, on the Board of Opportunity International. She is our global ambassador for women, has been for the past few years. And in that capacity is, as we speak, currently leading a, a worldwide effort to reach out and, uh, and impact the lives of 5 million women, uh, in, uh, you know, in, uh, principally in Africa and Asia, uh, one country, Colombia, and in Latin America. And that in turn, that very well underway, we are making great progress you know, if you think about it, that's 25 million people, five, five members per family. So hats off to Muffy. If I had time, I'd tell you all the stories of uh, uh, going with Muffy and 14 of her best friends, all women, uh, to, to a very, very remote and very rough part of India. Uh, and uh, the, the 12 hours we spent on, on a bus trip uh, where uh, there was, uh, you know, it, 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 it was uh, one guy and 14 women in the middle of India with uh, no restrooms in sight for about seven hours. So, you know, it, it, it quite was quite the trip, but changed our lives uh, to come back to what you were talking about. What we saw on that trip and what you would see uh, in opportunities work is that uh, what we understood very early on, we were born in the Midwest, you know, born, uh, it, it's a uh, and still are very much a bit West based organization was the power of both market economics as well as the power of partnership, you know, working together. So we have traditionally worked together with local partners and from probably day one, tried to stay away from asylum mentality. Uh, and, and as you know, let's bring people together. And that's what we believe uh, works successfully, sustainably. The what it's translated to is that we also understood that you really want local players you know, uh, to work together. And I know both uh, David in, in his context with local players and Victor in his context with local players would uh, agree with me. Uh, in our case, what we do is we take philanthropic capital, Alexandra, and then we use that to, to get local banks to do lending uh, to the poor, the people that, whom we are serving at appropriate rates and terms that are, that, that are uh, you know, appropriate to the context of the poor the result of which is you get you know, maximum amount of, of uh, uh, loan capital, uh, savings services, insurance, as well as training and support unleashed. So working in partnership, our best estimates are that philanthropic dollars get multiplied 12 to 15 times versus if we were to simply go in and do all the work ourselves, which we could, right? So that's the power of, of partnership. Now, when you start to, te- uh, to speak about investments right blended capital how do we bring uh, uh, the uh, 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 both local and foreign investors who are not philanthropy but are commercial into the picture especially given that we have uh, bottom of the pyramid businesses running that i think is the next big step and when that happens then the multiplication factors probably are going to go way up beyond the 12 to 15. And i think that's actually what the uh, this year uh, starting next year, I would say at uh, 2021, is one of the aims of our organization is to start to both deploy that kind of capital right at the very, very bottom of the pyramid. And I'll go back to the, to what David Beasley said, that's the solutions that will cause lasting change. You bring private sector, you bring, frankly, Wall Street in this case, uh, case into play, uh, and then you bring local players. But the organizations like you know, David's organization, Blue Cross, Victor, uh, Opportunity, we are the glue who brings it all together and make sure that we stay focused on the needs of the millions of the world, right? I mean, you don't ever want to forget not the face of your beneficiary, but the beneficiary themselves. There are people who are going to bed hungry. There are people who are starving and that shouldn't be uh, you know, in God's economy. That's not what he planned. So yeah, so th- thank you for the question.
2: Thank you. I'm being told that uh, we, we, we need to wrap up now and um, I wanna thank this panel. I think we addressed a lot of different issues and you know, it is my belief that unless we're thinking comprehensively, we aren't gonna achieve world peace. We're gonna see more destabilization um, in communities and it's this kind of work that is truly the, the key to the future that we wanna see. So thank you to all of the panelists. Thank you to um, esteemed Mark Ritchie for giving us the space to share our stories and to Global Minnesota. And um, with that, I will officially end this session.
1: Thank you so much to all of you, David, Atul, Victor, Alexandra, because you brought the whole day's message together that we find in our own paths, our particular skill, our particular passion, but we know that we have to do it in partnership, but not just in silos that are partners with each other, but by integrating and bringing these pieces together. Victor gave us a big picture about how that's being perceived in one of the largest and most important countries on the planet. Atul talked about all of the different experiences from his work all across the globe. And David gave us a sense of how those SDGs right here at home can guide a large health system, but also can bring the team members, the employees, the the people in these organizations into the larger SDG movement, sustainability movement, and take it on. And Bountenfield International will be doing one of the social hours after today, after the session. So I want to urge people who want to learn more and see more and engage in a conversation in that more informal way, please check out that part of the Global Minnesota website, go to the World Food Day under agenda. There's a whole list of social hours. But this obviously is a conversation about the work taking place on the front lines. Thank you for taking time away from that work because I know how important and how just um, gratifying that is, but how it takes you into a whole different type of Uh, schedule and a whole different type of opportunity. So being here today is a big deal. Thank you so much. And thank you, Alexander, for pulling it together and moderating us today. We will be back in just a couple minutes uh, with our final panel where we're going to look forward, the countdown to 2030. How do we get there from here? Thank you again.